What's up, everybody? My name is Lee. Some of you guys might know me as Intuition, and you're tuned into Kind of Neat. Thank you guys again for tuning in. We appreciate it as always. Make sure that you go right now on your iPhone and download the iPod app and subscribe to Kind of Neat on there. If you're streaming on the internet, you're making your life so much harder than it needs to be. Just download that app. There's an app for that. You know, we appreciate you guys tuning in. All the reviews, the five-star ratings, the comments on the iTunes. It helps so much. Thank you guys so much for doing that. While you're at it, you can subscribe to us on social media stuff. You can uh, follow me at It's Intuition. You can follow my man behind the boards, Ben Shim, making the shit sound buttery, at I Am Database, based with two S's. You can follow us as a unit at That's Kind of Neat, Facebook.com slash Kind of Neat, and YouTube.com slash That's Kind of Neat. Everything wrapped up in a pretty package on kindaneat.net. Now that we've got that out of the way, this week we have in uh, my dude Jeff Weiss, very prolific writer, uh, well-respected and well-known music journalist who is you know starting to convert into uh, some sports journalism. He's writing about the Lakers currently and stuff like that. But we get into talk about growing up in L.A. in the slums of Beverly Hills. And, uh, you know, his journey into being a pretty early blogger and, and choosing to go the, the route of writing, you know, what I could would consider like miniature think pieces on songs rather than just posting up press releases and stuff like that and how it's kind of led him to other things. Great conversation. I had a good time. He also has a podcast with one of my good friends, No Can Do, called Shots Fired. So you guys can check him out doing that. First things first. Got some questions. We got some questions from you guys. You guys have questions for me, and I, I've got advice, and we'll see how I do. I had a couple of these about this specific topic, and you know, I kind of related to it recently in real life as well. So I'm going to talk about uh, the friend zone. So I got this message that goes a little something like this: First off, can't wait for the podcast tomorrow. I appreciate it. And secondly, why do I always get friend zoned? I either come off too strong, or I come off as a friend. I'm not the douchebag type of guy or anything along those lines. I have manners and I treat women with great respect when it comes down to it. I always get the quote unquote just friend speech. And when I try to break out, I look like an idiot and lose a good friend. And then I got another one. This one's from a girl who says, I need your advice or opinion. Okay, I'm seeing this guy and I guess you could say we're friends with benefits. I have major feelings for him, but he doesn't have any for me. How do I ask or bring it up to him that I do have feelings and I want something more without him getting freaked out and kicking me to the curb? Seems guys tend to leave girls in the dust for catching feelings nowadays. Should I just leave him alone before my little heart gets broken into a million pieces? These are both excellent questions and they kind of touch in the same subject matter in the same realm. So I'm going to try to cover them both and tell you guys a little sad story about my life as well. So my theory on guys and girls being friends is like this. They can't be friends. And I hate saying that and I wish that it it weren't true. As I get older though, I just think it is the truth. Men and women can't be friends because one of them is always going to be attracted to the other. There's this whole theory called the ladder theory that you guys should Google search. I've probably talked about it before, but it basically states that women have two ladders. One is a friendship ladder and one is a sexual attraction ladder upon which they rate men. Like the, their best friend would be at the top of their friendship ladder and the person they're most attracted to would be on the top of their sexual attraction ladder uh, or romantic interest ladder. And guys only have one ladder and that is which girl do I want to fuck the most? So, you know, if you're a guy that's close friends with a chick, chances are you either openly or secretly want to have sex with her or be in a relationship with her. You're just not being honest to her. And maybe sometimes you're not being honest with yourself. So first and foremost to the girl 
who likes the boy and is letting him smash because she's friends with benefits and she really likes him. This shit always ends badly, in my opinion. I don't think friends with benefits ever quite works out because someone always catches feelings. And in my personal experience, what tends to happen is that the girl will catch feelings and then I might think, oh, she's catching too many feelings and I break it off. And then in hindsight, I realize like, oh, wait, I had feelings for her too. I just wasn't admitting it, you know? And so that might be something that happens with your dude. So by the time you tell him that you like him and he says, oh, I don't feel that way and he breaks it off, by the time you're getting over it and dating someone else, that's when he's going to realize like, oh, fuck, I'm miserable. And then he's going to start harassing you and et cetera, et cetera. And it's all bad. But I think that, yeah, the strong thing to do, the right thing to do is bring it up take that chance tell him that you do have feelings for him and see what happens the worst that he could say is that he doesn't feel that way and then you know that you're wasting your time because what happens in friends of benefit relationships is that you do both end up wasting your time you have a false sense of security and comfort with him and if he doesn't have the feelings for you then he's just basically using you which is not healthy for either person and it keeps the person it keeps you from meeting the right person and it keeps him from meeting the right person and both of you are doing it for probably the wrong reasons but i would say yeah go ahead and tell him now to the guy who always ends up in the friend zone this is something i've been struggling with I'm going to get real here and talk about a, a friend zone situation that I was just in where I made the mistake of trying to jump from a girl's friend ladder over to her sexual attraction ladder and it just didn't work out. You know, I was pretty close friends with this girl for a couple of years, uh, but circumstances always kept us from being able to like pursue anything romantically, even though I, f I was pretty sure that both of us felt that way. And so, you know, when circumstances allotted us to actually go on some dates, we started going on some dates and they went great. Uh, or the first one at least went really great. And then, uh, I don't know, for some reason I felt myself kind of questioning because, uh, she's trying to take things slow. And so I'm somebody who generally, when I go on a date, it's like, I'm usually having to go, Hey, you know, we shouldn't fuck tonight. Tonight is the first date. We should probably not fuck because we end up like maybe a heavy makeout session starts or something like there's always a little bit of trouble there. So I'm like, if it's something that I like on a first date, I'm like, Hey, we should slow down because I'm terrible and I have a one track mind and that happens. And so this girl, when we would go out, it was like, there wasn't any kind of like physical, um, it's not that there wasn't a physical connection. It's just that, you know, she wouldn't let me kiss her. We weren't holding hands. We weren't doing any of that stuff. So I was kind of like thinking in my head, like, fuck, am I in the friend zone? And then, yeah, it turned out that I was in the friend zone because after the third or fourth date, she was kind of like, Hey, look, I'm not really feeling dating. We tried, I had fun. That's it. And, uh, it hurts. It hurts to hear that, that, uh, man, it sucks to hear that. Oh, you're just a friend, but that should happen sometimes. As far as, staying out of the friend zone. I mean, this was like a, this was clearly like, I'm the dude that clowns on people that are in the friend zone because I'm like, Oh, you're just waiting your turn to like, to date this girl. Like, nah, you're her best friend and she doesn't see you that way. Like you need to recognize that. And I obviously did not recognize that. And I took my shot at it. And then I found out like, yeah, I'm in the fucking friend zone. Oh, well, I'm still happy that I tried. I'm still happy that I said something. I'm still happy that I took my attempt and that it failed because I would rather do that than continue on not pursuing something that I felt. You feel me? So to stay out of the friend zone, it's a tricky thing because like as cliche as it sounds, like women are always kind of attracted to dicks. Like it just is what it is. Like if you're not chasing, then you're 
better off. And so if you're someone who finds yourself doing the chasing, sometimes you just need to force yourself to act a little bit more aloof, perhaps, even if you give way too many fucks. If you give so many fucks that it's all you think about, you still need to like chill out and play the game because there is definitely like they call it game for a reason and sometimes it comes naturally where you actually don't give a fuck and it just kind of falls into your lap and other times when you actually like somebody you need to play the game of like okay even though i want to text her right now i should probably wait a few days so that it looks like i'm busy and i'm not thinking about this or that or the other and uh you know, acting aloof and not giving a fuck. And that's the thing is I think that I usually don't really give that much of a fuck. And now I feel myself getting older and I'm like ready to settle down. And I think people can smell that on you. So, you know, people can sense when you're out searching for something. And I think that when you stop searching or you, or really caring, that's when you actually meet somebody that's going to be that for you. I hope who knows, but as far as always being in the friend zone, man, I don't know. At a certain point, you just got to pull your socks up and man up and like, not be friends with the girl. If you like her, don't fucking be her friend. Like ask her on a date. The first time you see her, like don't ever be a dude that a girl wants to cry to you about her boyfriend. As soon as a girl does that to you, you're never going to see her naked. As long as you can avoid that, you're going to be fine. As sad as it is, it's kind of true what they say, man. Like sometimes nice guys finish last And so, I don't know, maybe fucking tap into a darker side of your mentality. Maybe these girls that you're falling into the friend zone with will look at you as more of a a threat where if they let their guards down, they they know they might end up naked around you. So, I don't know, man. Hopefully that helps. I'm not sure if it did or not. But uh, let me know. If you're a girl listening to this and you were offended by, by me saying that he should act like more of an asshole sometimes, let me know. And if uh, you're the dude who asked me the question and you start acting like more of an asshole and it works, let me know that too. Because I tend to think that like uh, as I'm growing up, I'm trying to concentrate on not being as much of an asshole. And now, now that I do that, that's when I felt my mojo floundering. So perhaps I should just snap back into asshole mode and uh, I'll be really out here again. Who knows? That is my rambling and probably half-ass shitty advice and my personal anecdote about being in the friend zone. And, uh, you know, that happened a couple of weeks ago and it was, it was a bummer. It was a bummer. But uh, without any further ado, let's get into the conversation with my dude, Jeff Weiss, writer for the LA Weekly, LA Times, Passion of the Weiss, Rolling Stone, Pitchfork, you name it. He's written it. He's got a book out. It's a fun convo. This is the first time that we've had an extended conversation like this, and I had a good time. So I hope you guys will too. Thank you for tuning in again. Here's Jeff Weiss. How'd you get the Laker job? Um, I was in Phil Jackson's book randomly i went to the 2009 yeah, he quoted you lakers parade yeah and my friend was i guess in mexico and i got a text from him and he's like you're in phil jackson's book and my of course my initial instinct is like what did you do wrong like like yeah, yeah. slanderous horrible journalist jeff and then he's like no you're in the book and 
I literally had not even from a weekly article or an for LA four Times? years ago when the the Lakers won the championship in two thousand nine. I hit up the editor and I was like, "Hey, you should send me to the championship parade." Yeah, because me and my friend just wanted to go. And so you just wrote a piece on that. Yeah, we got like amazing press access. They you know right down it was in the Coliseum. Yeah, so there's like eighty thousand screaming insane fa- like the streets were lined up on Figueroa downtown. It was yeah. like nuts. Like I mean, people were dressed up. They were like people dressed as Transformers. Yeah. It was the I mean you know L A like yeah, no yeah. one we don't care about it like there's no civic pride like right, right. the millennium c- celebrations they unless could- you're winning no one, no yeah. one cares unless they're winning. Well, that's the thing. It's like, but it's funny too because like the Clippers are winning and no one cares. Yeah, like they're like I went to the Lakers practice yesterday and there was like media from every country. There's Chinese media, like Chinese media, like boxing me out to try to talk to like you know Mike D'Antoni. And you're like, eh, this is a 500 team. Why? Because Kobe's coming back. Because Kobe's what? coming back. Yeah, that's interesting. But you know what? By the time the playoffs start, if the Clippers are still contenders, totally. then people will all totally. the Lakers fans will be Clippers fans. That's what yeah. Happens. Well, I feel like they're not mutually exclusive, but I feel like the Clippers fans is interesting because there was like a different subset. There's like a lot of Clippers fans that LA is such a transient town that there's people that came to LA five years ago. So they weren't there for like the Danny Manning, like Ken Norman, like Benoit Benjamin years of the Clippers. Like I, my, I grew up here. So my dad would Donald, he, he did like tax work yeah. for Donald Sterling oh. and Donald Sterling is the most crooked, awful man, like alive from everyone. So he's like racist. There's, yeah. there's horrible things that wow. there was a, like a lawsuit against him. He owns all these buildings and he would only rent Asian people. And like, he would be like, no Mexicans, no blacks because because Asians want, pay their rent on time. He said something really. Shout yeah. out to Ben. No, he said something really. Yeah, it was something like really racist, like that. Where it was like, you're like, no, don't say these things, owner fucked. of the Clippers. And then so he would try to not. He, he stiffed my dad of like all this money, and he owns like half of the West Side. But no shit. He stiffed my dad, and then would try to pay him in like Clippers tickets. And my dad's like, no one wants your Clippers tickets. Whoa. So we would go to Clippers games sometimes. That's tight. Yeah, tickets yeah, are better than no tickets, yeah, regardless I of the team. I agree. That's that's why I'm covering the team. Yeah, for sure. So you said you're from LA. Yeah. Born and bred. Boy, yeah. Uh, yeah. Generations here or what? My grandmother came here, I guess, in the 40s. And they were trying to make them like the Shirley Temple. Really? Like, they were trying to make them like the next Shirley Temple, but she she didn't have, I guess, enough pizzazz. She was like young child star. She was trying to be, but then like her, yeah, no, she was there. And then her, I guess, her family had, Benny Goodman was like the one, that was like the one claim to fame on that side of the family. That no was shit. like her like first cousin. Where were they from before that? New York? Removed. Chicago, and then my dad's side came in the 50s from New York. They were all, you know, like immigrants from Jewish on both sides? Jewish on both sides, yeah. Russian or knows. where, where uh, from? My mom's side is Russian. My dad's side is like Poland, Hungary, oh, like yeah. Czechoslovakia. A lot of them died. Yeah, I'm a quarter Hungarian too. Really? They all died in the Holocaust. So. No shit. Yeah, fun times. Yeah, see, I think that uh, my family, my mom's maiden name actually is Milkovitz, and it's like a Hungarian last name, but my. Uh, grandfather and his uh, or my great-grandfather and his brothers like got out of town got out of dodge right before the holocaust I were think. they jewish that's the thing is that they they say they're lutherans huh. but they were never practicing and all of them changed the spelling of their name when they came over and, and i just kind of feel like maybe we have some secret how do you feel about a stuffed cabbage because <laughs> <laughs> that's real that's real uh, hey what about locks <laughs> you know living in la I'll, I'll claim to have some kind of Jew- judaism in my in my background totally. when i need to yeah you know I mean? not a lot of jews in gnome i bet yeah well i've never been to gnome oh you're, you're not from gnome Fairbanks. you're from outside of Fairbanks. yeah Fairbanks. yeah no one i don't, I don't know i think i've never north been to pole. north pole there north you go. pole that yeah, was why yeah, i got confused yeah. good memory yeah. um yeah 
Never I just think gnome. gnome is a funnier word, I guess. Gnome is funny. And that's what North Pole is like a predictable cliche joke, but gnome, you think of a mythological sprightly creature. I th- when I hear gnome, I just think of dog mushing. I was pretty obsessed with gnomes for a while. Oh, yeah, gnome because the dog mushing. Yeah, yeah. dog mushing. I think the idea to ride runs through there or whatever. Yeah. So anyhow, your folks are over here. Your grandmother's going to be a child star. Did she ever get into any acting? No, she almost fucked Herr her Belafonte once, but it didn't go through. Really? <laughs> yeah, my grandfather was, I think maybe a great-grandfather. I think might have a bit of a racist, actually. Wow. I mean that. Huh. He, I think he gave her some flowers. She was like a pretty hot divorcee, I think, in like the early 50s. Yeah. There were some like Catskills Resort. Harry Belafonte saw my grandma, gave her a rose. My great grandfather was like, eh. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. That's so funny. You're like, and I, I do not endorse my great grandfather's racism, but uh. the guy was born in the 19th century, so. Yeah. Bigotry yeah. as a motherfucker. Apparently. You got a lot of white guilt. You bring up racism. <laughs> yeah. You bring up racism hella quick. Yeah. Yeah. Seriously. <laughs> I actually don't. Don't, I don't mean, worry. This is a safe space. I think because I'm Jewish, I don't have that much yeah. white guilt because I kind of, you know, not to say that like Jews aren't capable of racism, but no one liked us either. Yeah. True. So, true. You know, they, Kanye still doesn't apparently. There you go. Yeah. So your dad was a tax what? He's attorney? a tax attorney. Yeah. Yeah. Like What's a, your mom about? What does she, she do? She runs a baby boutique. A baby boutique. Yeah. For if you need any baby clothing, go to the Elegant Trial. How, the elegant child <laughs> yeah shout, the elegant child shout out terry weiss and the elegant shout child. out to mama weiss and yeah. elegant child yeah how long has she been doing that like 12 years i guess 15 years yeah 20 years yeah i was like a latchkey kid like just playing you know not, not like that's a sob story or anything no, yeah no. yeah i mean no, i have no sob story what part of town were you latchkeying in oh yeah we had a condo in beverly hills nice which was a it was kind of to go to my dad always hated it but it was good school district so we bought a you know like they got a condo and yeah not like you know not like it was like slums of beverly hills so it's like always like that's why i like that movie was so funny because yeah there's obviously no slum in beverly hills but it's like there's always this kind of discrepancy between you know, like really, yeah. The there, difference between the middle class and the and the upper middle class there is probably a lot. Well, and also like the really rich people all go to private school. Uh, so yeah. like the kids that go to public school, are, they're obviously wealthy. You know what I mean? But it's like any wealthy suburb anywhere in America. The private school kids, right. they're all children of like you know when you think of Beverly Hills, you think of the mansions, you think of the children of actors. Those are all the people that go to private Harvard West, like Brentwood Crossroads. Uh-huh. And you know, so I always I like saying I like because the truth is like you know I grew up like a block from LA. You know what I mean? Yeah. It wasn't like, there was not really a difference, but right. thank God Alchemist and Ariel Pink came from Beverly Hills. So it kind of, uh, I had like, I didn't like So now that. you have street cred. It's not even that. <laughs> it's like, I thought that like nothing good could ever come from Beverly Hills. Like right. I was like, pretty much if you came from Beverly Hills, you're just designed to like, you know, I mean, not to slander it because I'm sure there's, but, but it's like actor, you know, it's like, like, yeah, oh, I'm yeah. going to be a lawyer. I want to be a doctor and which is great, but not anyone creative. Usually you think like, there's always the myth of, you know, like the, you know, started from the bottom myth or then there's like the really crazy person that totally, I mean, I guess which Ariel Pink would probably fit into. But then you see someone like Alchemist who fucking producing from Mob Deep. Yeah. You know, like might as well be the third member of Mob right, Deep. Right, right. So then you realize that it's all, you know, it's the, not to quote rock him, the where you're from, it's where you're at. But, you know, it's it's true, kind of. Yeah, absolutely. Not like I'm any kind of hardcore person. No, I, f- I mean, I would compare you to rock him. <laughs> I mean, I think I'm more of a Big Daddy Kane type. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Because you never half step. And I fucked Madonna. <laughs> oh, my God. Madonna is the same age as my mother. That's so disturbing. Yeah. Like, literally, like, they're a month different. So (laughs) when people tell me, like, oh, Madonna still is pretty hot, I'm like, ew. Uh, Yeah, no, never. Yeah. So uh, do you get recognized in school as being a pretty gifted kid very early on? Where You you seem like you're pretty... 
you're a well-read guy. You're a well-spoken guy. Um, Did you excel at everything or was just writing an instant passion? No, writing actually was not a passion at all. Um, I was like a jock. I was That was like my thing. I mean, I, I did really well in school, but it was never like my identity was never like, oh, you're the smart kid. Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? Like I was always pretty much near the top of the class, if not at it. But yeah, like it never was like how big were the schools you were going to as a kid uh you know 30 kids in a class it wasn't like you know it wasn't like it was, they were good schools but it wasn't like amazing you know the pri- i think the private schools like if well, you know the reason i ask you like i mean like overall because like uh my school it was small we had yeah. 400 kids total because i was in a small town so it was like the jocks and the smart kids and the whatever they all blended together because everybody had to kind of play multiple roles if totally you yeah i mean it wasn't that big you know so it was it was not but i mean i was like i thought you know i'd be like a professional baseball player or a basketball player until you realize like not that many six three jews in the nba so that was out yeah and then but i thought baseball players and then uh yeah six three is a good size for a baseball player yeah well sean green it was like the sean green era so you're like oh you could be like sean green yeah and you realize like sean green was how how early did you start playing ball like four at four yeah like i like they had i had apparently a hoop at two and like my mom was like like you know it was like when you know it's like you know they all the nba stories like my son was amazing like it's like that story except like it like went nowhere yeah yeah (laughs) what about baseball same age like four baseball yeah my mom like baked brownies and like bribed them to let me in early because i was my sport that you know it's interesting because i read did you ever read uh the malcolm gladwell i think it was outliers you, I did, yeah. you know how he talks about the hockey players yeah the age thing that was me with sports and like when i read that book i was i got always suspected that because especially if you're like kind of a late bloomer like sort you of were born at the right time or the wrong the time? wrong time me too dude yeah. i was i was a july baby so my cutoff was like i was yeah. always uh the youngest person in the league uh-huh I've always thought thought the same thing. I'm like, yeah. damn, if I was only a couple months older than the cutoff. Yeah, I was October, so I would uh, play like with the kids a year younger. But then yeah. um, in high school, like I was always a year ahead. So it, they, you know, it was sort of, you know, I came to high school, I was like, you know, five seven or something. Oh, really? When did you hit your growth spurt? Uh, like junior year, I went from like sophomore with junior, I went like five ten, I was six one, and then I was six two by senior. I grew an inch in college. Crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, like you know, it just also like you know, just like built like a jewish kid <laughs> like i was like a stereo like i wasn't like muscular or anything i was kind of yeah know. same no I, I was very passionate about baseball as well and and i uh i didn't hit my growth spurt my last growth spurt until college when i graduated high school i think i was only like 5 10 160 or something oh, really? what and position I, do you play i'm left-handed so i used oh, to play yeah, a lot of first base i pitched and i yeah. played outfield etc cetera, etc cetera. the only things that we can do essentially yeah that's the problem i mean like that's the good thing about being lefty but yeah you're limited to like three they put me in outfield when i was in college well the funny thing about being left-handed though as a pitcher is that like i wasn't a great pitcher i didn't have good velocity but for uh-huh. some reason being left-handed confused the shit out of people totally i had a decent curveball but like people couldn't well hit you me have movement you have a lot of movement yeah that was the thing like even my fastball tailed a little bit yeah mine had like apparently like it was my problem was i never like my dad's like a you know it was like a tax lawyer it wasn't like it wasn't like a baseball family so i feel like baseball is one of those things where it's basketball is kind of like more like wild style kind of just like you know it's like you know everyone compares it to jazz yeah yeah. baseball is more of a formalist game where it's like you really have to have those coaches and get your fundamental you know basketball basketball matter your footwork is important but like you know you can pick that up kind of easy pitching i had really bad mechanics so i would like but I would throw – I threw pretty hard and like I had like a – How hard did you throw? Probably hardest I ever threw was like 87, 88. Like, nice. You know, like not consist- – like probably consistently like 84, 85. Yeah. And then I had like a nice I had a, I had a really great slider. That was like my best pitch. Like, yeah. I would, like I was pretty great against lefties, but I just did not have control. Like when I pitched in college, they would like – they had signs where they'd be like, oh – you know, here's the location sign and here's right. the pitch. I never knew what the location sign was because it's like, who fucking cares? It doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. It's going to throw away, like, hopefully right. it's a strike. So I never had that. But I, I was also, like, not, like, the smartest, like, baseball player. Like, I should have, 
I needed somebody that I, I was like was just too ADD. I think yeah, and unfocused and thought I could throw. I thought I could throw blow by everybody, and I didn't realize like eh, if you take two or three miles off your fastball and spot it, they're not going to be able to hit it. Yeah, were you a good hitter? Yeah, I was a pretty good hitter. I like played first in college and DH'd a lot. And, Word. Like, yeah, it was not that much power. I was kind of like a like a poor man's, really very poor man's Mark Grace. Like high average, never struck out, but not that much. I'd hit like bombs in batting practice, but I didn't have the uh, just a little too anxious, you know. Like I would swing first pitch, and like as a hitter, like I think I think baseball is a game of. I think all sports are really like not celebrated enough for their intelligence because. They're just well, baseball it, is definitely the thinking man sport. It's chess. It's a slow fucking moving pitchers game. Pitchers especially. Yeah. I think like it and that was also a problem too. I feel you have to think like a pitcher and I you was, have to think like a hitter. I was just going to say like having experience pitching yeah. actually made me such a better hitter because really? I'd be like, "Oh, okay, if 2 and 1 right now if I was pitching, I, I would try to throw a strike right now because I wouldn't want to fall behind 3 and 1." And so like 2 1 was my favorite pitch to throw because I felt like a pitcher was always going to throw a strike at me. Yeah. You feel me? That makes sense. I mean, I would always just uh I, I just like would do the same in the same game so I I would just not like, you know, I'd be like too obsessed. So if I wouldn't get a hit, then I'd take it out to the mound. And if I had a bad inning, then I'd carry it to the plate. So I was just a fucking head case. Mm. So moral of the story is get your child the sports psychologist young. <laughs> <laughs> um, did you spend a lot of time as a youth like doing camps and stuff like that? Uh, like, were your parents really supportive of it or what? Um, yeah. I mean, like, yes and no. Like, I went to a couple basketball camps and stuff. Mm-hmm. I went to sports camps. I never went to like sleepaway. We were too cheap. Though. They, they would never. I mean, like, we weren't rich or anything. Right. So it was like my dad's like, I'm not going to send you to $3,000 sleepaway camp or whatever. Right. I mean, to be honest, like at the time I was like, dad, you're the worst on my friends. And then like now I'm like, I don't think I would send my kid to a I'm like, we're made three thousand dollars to send a fucking kid to right that's crazy to what is he gonna fall well what the fuck is in, the point of in hopes that he gets a contract yeah. for some shit like a pipe well, dream well, you know? it was like more i'm saying like sleepaway camp for like archery like yeah. you know what i mean like, like yeah, what yeah, the yeah. fuck what do you need an archery scholarship yeah, yeah. like you know what do you need arts and crafts for right you know but like they would i went to like uh like a magic johnson basketball camp which was like that was like the highlight when i was like you know 10 and he was there yeah, he was there. He was my favorite player. Oh, that's so dope. And then he yells at me. Oh, <laughs> it was like, it was like, because I'm stupid. And I, it was picture day, you know? So it's, uh, it was like magic. It's like, get your, and like, so like magic, you know, I was taking his photo with like 3,000 asshole kids, yeah. you know? And so like, they were like having to be Santa Claus that day. It's like, yeah. like a mall line. So yeah, so many kids sitting on your lap. It's yeah. just the worst thing ever. And so like, I walk in front of, after I take my picture, I walk in front of the other picture and then magic's like, what are you doing? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, oh, Magic Johnson yelled at me. But it was cool. I ended up like getting to play in front of like the whole camp in a one-on-one. I got there was like a one-on-one tournament for like my age, and I, yeah, I, you know, I was like totally like, You're oh, killing and, it. But I lost. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Story of my life. But it's still, but it was tight. Yeah, so that's why I thought, oh yeah, and then you know, someone. Yeah, every kid thinks they're going to go to the NBA, I think. Yeah, totally. I mean, my first dream, similarly, was like, I, I want to be a pro baseball player. And totally. Then it, and then I was like, oh, wait, I live in Alaska, and it's very, like, there's no... Are only- there any pro baseball players? Some basketball players. There's Boozer, actually- Trajan Langdon. Yeah, there's a lot of basketball players, actually. Trajan Langdon, there was um, uh, Boozer. Yeah. I think they went to the same school. They're both from Juneau. Mm-hmm. There's a few dudes that are from Alaska, but baseball-wise, it's pretty tough because we yeah. only have a three-month summer. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, there was actually one kid from my high school um, who graduated maybe like four or five years after me who ended up playing for the pirates as a pitcher for a while which was like i think that's like the only dude from yeah school, you high know school in hindsight about baseball because i you know i played in college and i, yeah. I went to a d3 like I, I didn't get really heavily recruited or anything yeah. like because i was younger and like yeah, i yeah. just you know it just wasn't I went to a D3 because I figured, all right, I'll, st- I'll start right off the bat, you know, like, and I, which I did. 
And I was like, oh, you'll just transfer in two years to like a D1 or like a good D2. And, right. you know, but I just, you know, like you get a girlfriend, you like, like your school, you don't really want to fucking Start leave. Start smoking lots of weed. Yeah, and you're like drinking fuck. beers. Partying. You're like, yeah, you're like, why? You know, and it was, it was pretty fun. And, yeah. uh, but if I'd known how much money they made, I would have totally done steroids. Oh, <laughs> like all these guys on my team were like, what? You need to juice, dude. I, th- I- <laughs> they're like, they were all juicing on my yeah. team. Oh, like half yeah. my team was juicing. Oh yeah. That's so big in college sports. People don't yeah. realize it, man. My friend, uh, I, I had a friend that um went, got a scholarship for wrestling yeah. and he was like a heavyweight wrestler and uh, he started juicing in college and got fucking yoked. And then you all get the, amazing all when this, you juice. He, he got injured yeah, and yeah. he come and I see him like a year and a half later and he's fat as shit. And I go, I'm like, dude, what the fuck happened? He's like, man, I was like juicing in college and then when when I got off, it just turns you into fat, fat bitch yeah, tits. You have to like, like lift, like yeah. yeah, dude. He looked like shit afterwards. Uh, these guys on my team were juicing, and they got amazing. Like, and yeah. I was good. So, like, you know, I didn't realize, like, oh, you know, when like Eric Gagne. You remember when like it was the time when Eric Gagne was in the Dodgers. So right. you'd read all these sports stories, and they're like Eric Gagne, long tossed all off season and came back with a ninety six mile an hour yeah, fastball. It's like no. And then I saw it like long tossed, and I was like, all right, cool. You went from like eighty four consistently to eighty five consistently, yeah, yeah. or eighty six maybe. And I didn't. I, I thought you could get like five or six miles. In hindsight, if I'd known, like I didn't know what a million dollars was when I was in college. Yeah, you just assume like, oh, that's a lot of money, but you'll make a lot of money doing everything. But if I'd known, I totally would have done it. Cause right, like, right, right. Because I, I was like, wait, you're making well, baseball is definitely- three million dollars a year as a low paid player. Right. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, what would you do with three million? It's the best sport to get into as a professional because it's the least likely that you'll get injured, totally. and you got the longest career, and you get the highest like the longest career. You can be good at thirty five. Look at Kobe. Yeah. He's like kind of probably done at thirty. Yeah, and yeah, like, yeah. or he might be done. You think he's done? I think he's done as a dominant player. Yes, yeah, I think he's done as a, as a good defensive player. I feel I, I feel like the Lakers shouldn't have re-signed him. It, it's like here's the like, I mean, I was actually just read. I, I've been writing about it. I was just reading Phil Jackson's book from 2004. Yeah, and there's an amazing quote where Phil's like, "You need to trade Kobe." Like he Phil wanted to trade Kobe like from jump, like not from jump, but like from 2000 to 2004, they just had clashed. And then Genie's like, "Look, he's 26 years old." he's going to be the face of this team for eight or nine or 10 years. Yeah. Like that's ticket sales. That's endorsements. That's mystique. That's, you know what I mean? The whole night. Yeah, and yeah. you're like, Oh, well the, like for them to not give him the contract. Cause like, there's a chance like Kobe kind of an asshole. Like yeah. Kobe fucking will walk and sign with Dallas or something. Right. Right. And then like what happens? Like the, then they get no season ticket renewals, which they wouldn't. Cause like we're a delusional bunch Lakers fans, you know, yeah. for, Valid reasons, invalid reasons, you know, whatever. But they've had a lot of success. So you assume like, oh, Kobe Bryant's going to just be amazing. And like I watched him practice yesterday and me even still, I'm like, it's got to be old Kobe. And then you see him and you're like, uh, you dunked like me at 32. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know about that. I mean, I don't know about the politics, and I don't pay attention that much and shit. But it seems to me it's like, why not just let the team suffer really bad for a couple years so they get some good draft picks and try to find the next? Yeah, I think that's like the pragmatic. Like that's like like if you just approach it from like not like this tunnel vision. Yeah, it's like very clearly. But like, I feel you know what? If I was the owner, I mean, I would have tried to (laughs) try to bargain him down a little bit because the the salary cap is pretty. The CBA makes it pretty hard, but when you have an athlete like that, that people are so intrigued by it's the same thing with like Mike Tyson people wanted to see him fight long after his prime and long after he should have stopped because it's just like oh maybe he'll still have Completely. flashes of his greatness totally you know? and it's like the kind of concept it's like I was thinking about it with music it's like 
I don't know. Would you rather hear like a good album from like a decently talented band, like a good, you know, the best that they can do, or like, would you rather hear like Neil Young make like a mediocre record? And then there's like the kind of like thought I'm like, I don't know, like I kind of like some of Neil Young's mediocre records because like you're like, how many? What do you need? You just need like one or two songs, right? But I mean, sports isn't like that, obviously. But like, it's that same idea. Because even that that mediocre Neil Young album will still have some moment of greatness. Yeah, it'll be like a flash just of like genius. Kobe will still have some moments totally. of greatness. Yeah, he's gonna have, you know, he'll have that like. I bet he puts up 45 in one game within maybe his first 20 games back. And then, like, everyone's going to, you know, you're going to read the article. Kobe's back. Yeah, yeah, Old Kobe's back. How is he doing it? Because, I mean, sports is like everything is built on a narrative. It's a day. So the difference is sports and albums. It's like music. It's like an album by album narrative or sometimes like an EP by EP. Yeah. Sometimes even single by single. But sports is like a daily basis. It's a 24 hour news cycle like politics. Yeah. Speaking of narratives, let's get into why you're here. You are a prolific writer. You're a known uh, writer. You've written about music now for how many years? Um, like professionally since 07, so since like 07, six, six years. Yeah. That's a good, yeah. that's a good amount of time. And uh, now you're converting into the sports writing, right? Yeah. Why more lucrative? Um, you know, I, I it's just a less opinion, tra- less opinion based or what? Um, well, it's definitely equally, it's more fun for me. Yeah. Like honestly, like I, at a certain point, like I don't, I never really liked negative criticism. Yeah. I do it sometimes like probably more infrequently than some, probably more frequently than others, but I don't like that aspect of it. It's not, it's just not enjoyable. And at a certain point, like what music writing is sort of, I mean, it's, it's, it's not, how are you going to do that as a profession at like 45 years old? Yeah. I mean, people do. And like, I have respect for those who do, but your tastes change over time. It's hard to remember. Who wants to be like the young, cool. I never was interested in being like, I was like, I'm I'm like naturally misanthropic. I'm naturally like, not like the, I'm never going to be like the mainstream guy. Like I never was when I was young, but I, I, I love things when they're popular. Sometimes it's, yeah. just, it's totally at random, yeah. but I just never want to be like, I never wanted to be the guy that's like, Oh, let me tell. I mean, is there anything more contemptuous than like being like, like some 38 year old white guy telling like 16 year old black kids or 19 year old black kids the way that they should be making music. Like that's right. kind of awful. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it's not awful necessarily in the abstract. Cause you know what I mean? Criticism is criticism. It's going to always, but at the same time, like there's this, no, it's not why I started writing. Right. It's the, I mean, and you know, it's not like I went out to be a music writer. Well, why did you start writing? Um, well, that's a long story, but basically well, that's, what, a, we oh, well, that's right. what we have time for. Well, basically I, um, you know, I never was like one of those like creative writing kids. I never, I, you know, I, I love, I loved reading. I was a very, very, very obsessive reader. Like, you know, I'd go to the library all summer, like when I wasn't playing sports. When, did, when did you get a passion for reading? Very young? Four. Four? Yeah. yeah I started reading yeah. at four and I would just go to like, you know, it'd be sports and then just reading. I would just read obsessively like everything. I read like every book in my library. I read every sports book in the library too, which is why sports writing made sense. because You have always... a book from like a few different eras of your life that may have changed your life at the time. Like, do you have a book as a seven year old where you're like, oh, this shit is like, whoa. God. And then in high school, one that's a good question that? um i i wouldn't i don't i don't think so I, I liked really like matt christopher books when i was a kid like he wrote these baseball and sports books i really loved those you know I, what i used to fuck with heavy two things i used to fuck with encyclopedia brown oh i was gonna say encyclopedia, encyclopedia brown, brown yeah. and also choose your own adventure books those were great those I loved were those. The, those were like what made me uh passionate about totally. reading very I, loved early those. On. I loved the wizard of oz books actually they I had like they had 45 yeah, Wizard of Oz books. No and I was shit. like really into them. One so su- like one or two summers, I got like obsessed with it. And like I was, well, I never was like really a fan of. But I liked that. I liked uh, 
they had like just they had, like I was so into baseball stuff. You know what I yeah, mean? Like the hundred yeah. greatest baseball players. Like I would like memorize that shit. Like I would read like Magic Johnson's autobiography. I was like obsessed with sports. Charles Barkley's autobiography. You know, like I thought those were so cool because you know you're still like I never was like I you know like I said like my there were no books in my house. Yeah, my parents didn't own book. I mean, like, they were readers. They were educated, but they're not like leisure readers. No, I like I don't, I've never known either of them to read a book ever. You know, I yeah. bought my dad. Yeah, it, and there was not really any TV. There was like no media. There weren't movie people. There weren't music. There were no records in my house. Sort of like growing up in an Amish household. No records either. So yeah, no records. There was one. There was one that was like Thriller, which was a good one to That's have. That's a good one to have. Yeah. How did so was the developing a passion for reading and a passion for music like this like kind of silent rebellion or something like um, what, how does that happen? No, I. I how did you I, get into music? It's funny. I never really like. It, I guess like I've never like been interested in rebelling against my parents. They were always like. I mean, like my dad and me like had quarrels, you know. But like you know, we didn't have a great like relationship growing up. But it wasn't like I was always. I always thought it was kind of trade. I think to be like, oh, I'm just gonna rebel for the sake of being I mean like I mean I definitely like tried my cigarettes you know I like I was like go you got drugs I'll try them but I never really wasn't very successful at procuring them until like my sophomore year and even then I wasn't I've kind of inherently been sort of like a I'm like a very I'm a very irresponsible responsible person yeah you know so um I don't know I it was when I was actually in college and I had a friend that you know I, I got there and I was you know like you're in college you're like smoking lots of weed and you're like interested in trying to find out things and I had friends I, I had a friend in the dorms who was like I was always really into rap like I was obsessed with rap from like you know, chronic came out when I was like ten. So it was yeah. like shit. So you know what I mean? It's like, right. or else I just turned eleven. Well, so that, like, must, that, been, shit that must have been a f- huge record in L.A. Oh god, for a little yeah. Jewish white kid. Oh, I mean, for everyone. Yeah, I mean, no. it was it was wild. I like, always think of that scene in um, what's the Chris Rock one that they did? CB4. CB, oh, I love CB4. CB4 the yeah. little the little Jewish child. It was like that. It was like the. Was oh it, yeah, it was, it was. the politician. There you go. The politician's son. He's walking around looking like Bud Bundy in the Raiders jacket. Totally. I mean, like Bud Bundy was like running L.A. Like you know what I mean? Alchemist. Like everyone knew like who alchemist was grandmaster you know? b he was yeah he was like little d or something <laughs> yeah. Fuss, do you know yeah everyone knew alchemist was because like you know so everyone's like all my friends their older brothers like knew you know they were friends with like al and yeah. scott and them and they were like all the, the cool guys like three years older and like so you knew about them and they had hooligans at the time oh, so yeah, like that yeah. was like and then they had like the show on kbev it was called like called funky flavors yeah and what's kbev like local radio it was like local Hills? tv yeah oh, oh, and it was TV. like Scott like it, cable access yeah it was like Wayne's World like that's tight. but it was from the high school like that was like they had some crazy some teacher was like you know really with it and so they would show like rap they had this amazing show I'm trying to actually I've been trying to get the videos out there they exist I've, I've watched them again yeah but it was this guy Adam Weissman do you know Paulin no uh he works for Stussy he, oh okay he, he's in this really good band called Paulin and he uh was one of the producers of the show Mike Karen who like is the head of an A&R at Warner Brothers yeah one of like the camera pe- he was like involved with it and Alchemist was the host wow so they would have like like this diner called Larry Parker's and they'd have like you know Alchemist interviewing Mast A's Alchemist interviewing Whoa. Farside like Al- you know what I mean like and they'd show all these amazing videos so that really that was like on top of Yom TV raps there was like funky flavors and that was like you know my and my uh my friend's older brother was Mike Karen, so he would uh, uh, he would be like, my brother's doing the show. And I'm like, I know, I'd watch it. I was obsessed with it. So That's that, so tight. Yeah, and I was like, you know, BT reps that he would on site, like, tape. You know, When's that, like, 92, 93? That must have been 92, 93. Yeah, I was young. I was, like, you know, 10, 11, yeah, 12. Yeah. And uh, so I would just become obsessed with that. And then 
Uh, what were some of the earliest rap records you got into, like The Chronic and then what else? I love Passing Me By. That was like my favorite record. I mean, I, the first one I really remember is like probably Humpty Dance. I really remember like, oh, yeah. loving Humpty Dance. That's my karaoke jam. Yeah, that's mine too. Because yeah. I can do it. I was like, all right, stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the image. <laughs> See, I never do the voice. Yeah, that's good. You, yeah, you I, I was Humpty for Halloween like three years ago. That's tight. Yeah. It was like, it'd be like, yeah, <laughs> give me all your crackers and your licorice, you know? So I'd just do that and then. I would. Are you ticklish? Yeah. Anyhow, um, you got into digital underground, or was it just the single? No, I bought like I bought was it sex Sex packets? Yeah, Yeah. I love sex packets. I mean, it was like really in the doggy style. Doggy style was a huge record. You know, I got I had a lot of tape singles. I had a lot. Like I was really into New Jack Swing. Oh yeah. I liked BBD a lot when I was like sixth grade. Do me, baby. Oh yeah. I should not have been listening to that when I was in fourth grade. I I was super down. Only two things I ever ordered in the box were Do Me and Poison. Never came. That's tight. Yeah, <laughs> so like, I'm I like, I, you're the first person that I've met that has ever said they called the box because yeah, I used to I used to watch the box. It's and a I was one like, time thing, like because it was like a big deal. Yeah. Like, my parents were not like three bucks. Like, oh you're yeah, you're not dude. getting three dollars. Yeah, I feel like if I would have called that nine hundred number and put in a credit card, I would have fucking gotten my head chopped off. Totally. I was like, like mom, please, yeah. one thing. Yeah, never came. I was like, I'm not asking you. Again. That's so funny. You know, a box single I used to really like that they played a lot was um a lighter shade of brown. Oh yeah, that was like, hey dude. Hey, oh, Hey DJ was yeah. the homies they also had all the time. I loved that, that fucking was, song. Uh, yeah, letter, I mean, ra- LA rap was amazing then. So it was yeah. like, it's really easy. And Power 106 was amazing. Baker Boys were playing like whatever the fuck they wanted. And like, your crossover was, I loved Crossover. Yeah. That was one of my favorite early songs. So did you stay into rap like the whole junior high, high school the whole time? I had like a year where I got into grunge. But like I liked rap still, but like I was really into like Nirvana, Smashing Pumpkins, Pearl Jam, like Alice in Chains. Was that like eighth or ninth grade? It's like eighth. I feel like we have a similar trajectory because it's like you go through this thing where like yeah, rap is your first love, and like you're kind of confused about that (laughs) because like a lot of like there's a lot of anti-white shit. Like are you yeah? And it's like are you a rap kid? I'm like I I never was like putting on. I never was trying to be like like the you know the quote unquote what you were called a wigger at the time. Yeah, exactly. I never was into that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I probably had like wig tendencies, and so and then I I owned a couple Maurice Malone and Echo things. Yeah, yeah, there you go. But never Fubu. I had cross colors and some Carl Kanai. I never went that far. Yeah, I was I I. Bad so homies that did. When I, ha- when I go back home uh, to North Pole, I have uh, uh, the same boudoir or dresser <laughs> thing awesome. from like yeah. when I was a child. And it's got this mirror on it. And on the mirror has like stickers from all the clothes. Oh, that I, I, still have. I have that too. So it's got cross colors. It's yeah. got fucking old Stussy, like totally. super old Stussy. I don't know. Yeah, like I had like the old Ad Band Clan, like <laughs> black, pre black eyed peas. Yeah. I had like, yeah, like uh, all that shit, like Triple Five Soul and like, oh, yeah. Mecca. And, like, oh, Mecca. I forgot forgot about mecca that's tight yeah um then at some point like at the end of my eighth grade year i went like wait maybe i should try listening to white people music and see what it's about and it was like i went through this little phase of that and then i realized that you have to live in both worlds because like music is music yeah me. yeah although i really didn't like i went right back in it i like really? i think like after like eighth grade like i think i like went away for like I not away like it was like like I had a friend that was like I'm gonna go to Club Med with my family want to come <laughs> like I was like what's uh, Club where is Club Med <laughs> I always thought that was like a made up place what is yeah it? like I went to it it was it was lame where is <laughs> it was it? like Mexico and I remember being there like it was I, I think like Watuco and I remember being there and like I thought it was the cheesy shit ever like all these people are like doing like electric slides and like the Macarena and like here I am in like eighth grade I'm like this is the corniest shit ever <laughs> like I was like such a cynical fuck I was, but like, there's like no other thirteen year old broads to holler at or something I was definitely unsuccessfully hollering at couple girls yeah, yeah and then you know i was trying i was doing my best dude eighth grade summer <laughs> vacations were the best for summer 
love. I was so about that. Yeah, I was like not that. I would like I was I was a little too like uh, I tried a little too hard. Yeah, I, think. yeah. I like I needed like an older brother to be like yeah. the thirst was real. <laughs> yeah, the thirst was way too real, and I was like I don't understand why these girls, you know, and like someone needed to be like yo, just 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 ease up a little bit. You're cool, it's right? Fine. Um, but yeah, no. So and then like I think I rem- I got I brought like Warren G, which I'd bought the year before, and like I became re obsessed with Warren G, and then yeah, somebody like I, there were these two guys like I never like it, like they were one guy was like a white guy was like a white hippie dude they must have been like 19 at the time but i thought they were like impossibly old and there was another dude his name was doc and he was like this black dude with an afro and mutton chops and there was like a party that someone threw and i had like the one boom box i'd brought my butt like lugged my boom box to mexico because i wanted tapes yeah and they left like the only bill for cuban links tape oh in my and and, then craig mac project funked a world (laughs) in my tape player and they left and i was like they someone gave me a purple tape and I, I didn't understand it, but I liked it. I was right. like, what is this? Right, right. It took me like three years to get, but... And then so that kind of got me back into hip-hop, and then, like, you know... So in high school, you're still the hip-hop kid. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, what else through were you college... Into? What else were you into in high school? Was it just sports and rap music? And the girls, I was really boring. Yeah, yeah. Like, a TV, no, I was, like, good. really into pop start, culture. Did you start fucking around with, like, drinking, anything like that? I did, but, like, nothing heavy. Like, I was never, like, really, like... You can't be that much of a problem kid when you're, like... You get you get kicked off the teams, right? Right. You know, if you got bad grades, or if you and my guys out would whoop my ass. What, you know? what would your baseball coach say about your hair right now? <laughs> they probably would have been like, "You always knew he was a fuck boy." <laughs> <laughs> you know, they would have been like, "I always knew that kid was a lefty." They'd be like, "Oh, he's a lefty." Yeah, lefties are weird. Because you got long, wavy locks. You know, the funny Dude, thing is, back when I could grow hair, my freshman year of high school, I made the varsity team, and I had at the time the hip hairstyle was to shave underneath and part, oh yeah, part I down the middle. I remember that. Yeah, my the, shit the, was down to my shoulders and uh, middle part with a number two step. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I remember my coach. He's this. He's this. Uh, little tiny black dude named billy and he was uh, he's like oh shana oh shana's the crazy he's the wild child on the team look at his hair and then i came with a haircut one time <laughs> and he was like why'd you cut your hair man why'd you do it like and, yeah, uh, it man, was, was such a disappointment it was funny him. when i was in college it was like a freshman in college like where the whole team was going to hawaii right and like yeah. it was like some like you had to like raise money all year so we could like the whole team like sold shirts and we like raised money so we could get this trip to hawaii which was fucking like the most uh, deba- like like every horrible thing you could expect happened in Hawaii with a bunch of like eighteen year old, yeah. twenty one year olds in Hawaii. Like, and uh, they all my team had like the bright idea. They're like, "Yo, let's shave our heads and bleach them." Oh fuck! <laughs> and then I was the I was like, I was a three eleven. Yeah, it was like, dude, it was like ninety. It was like two thousand. It was like it was like that slim shady era. You oh, know, yeah, yeah. It was like right. It slim was like sh- limp biscuit and slim. It's shady. like you know how in like twenty one Jump Street when Jonah when Jonah <laughs> shows up with like looking like Eminem. Yeah. I mean, I was the one guy in the team that didn't do it. Oh, and they were like, you. they were like, you're an asshole. <laughs> like, why didn't you do this? You, you know, that's fun. I, I was doing literally the same exact thing at that time. I had, I shaved my head and had yeah. bleach blonde hair and looking back at some real kook shit. But at the time the ladies loved it. Oh yeah. Like I just knew I'd look, I like, my nose is too big. I look stupid <laughs> with a fucking shaved head. <laughs> I was like, you will not look good with a shaved yeah, head. Yeah. So yeah. No, were, then, were you getting into writing in high school though? Like, did you know that you had a penchant for it? No, no, no. I loved books. I did, but I'd never, I always thought the creative writing kids were kind of corny. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, I'm a writer. I'm like, I know you're doing that to get bitches. Yeah. Yeah. You know, ladies, sorry. I say that in Lupe Fiasco in my head. It's like, stop saying that word. Um, but I was using it to quote somebody, but, um, yeah, I never like I always thought it was the creative writing thing. I you know, I like did like a like a speech contest once and I lost. And like I was like I don't know, I always thought I always had like this this thought in the back of my head, I don't know why, where I was like if it's right for you, then you'll do it. Like you'll know that that that's your thing. Right. I always suspected I could, right. but I was like, I don't know, some some I always just assumed at some point in my life I would become a writer or I wouldn't. And I, you know, 
I never thought about it because also, like, honestly, like being a baseball player looked like a lot more like a viable option than being a writer because I, I come from a family where, like, my dad loves baseball. He doesn't love writing. So yeah. it was like, you know, and he was like encouraging. He wasn't really like helping me out with baseball or anything, but like he, you know, that was, that was pretty good. And it, it made sense that like that would, you know, I, or I was like, oh, I'll just be a lawyer. I didn't know what a lawyer was. It was like yeah. making. You know, it's like that scene. My dad was a lawyer. Like my uncle was like, you know. So, so when you went off to college, was that the intent? Was yeah, like, I totally. Get, I'm get a law degree. Totally. I mean, it's like there's like a funny joke. They're like, what's a what's a lawyer? And it's like it's a Jew who doesn't like blood. It's like totally <laughs> anti-Semitic, but uh, but kind of true because it's like yes, yeah. It's like you're supposed to be a doctor or a lawyer if you're Jewish yeah. or like something responsible. And you know, it makes sense because it's like, it, you know, if you look back and study the history of Jewish people, there's like you know, history of persecution and they were, they were always making money and getting thrown out of town. So when you get thrown out of town, you better have some fucking money to go to the next town and get me persecuted. So, you know, you always assume like, fuck some, someone's out to get us. So like save your fucking money because this is not going to last. Right. Right. And I think that's why when people are like, Oh, Jews are good with money. It's like, no, they're not like that good with money. They just don't spend it because they assume it's not going to be there. Uh, you know? And I think that's I feel like I read something where like part of the thing about why Jews are good with money comes from like back in ancient times, Judaism was one of the religions where you could loan. Yeah. The last part, of, they were the only ones like in the middle ages that could collect. Uh, yeah, You couldn't handle money. It was like deemed unclean by the Christian church. So Jews were one of the only people that loan money. That's why a lot of the banking families in, in the right, Middle right, Ages, right. like the Rothschild. Well, and then it's funny that you brought up outliers because there's a, the story about like how um, Jews became such powerful lawyers as for with corporate law because that was like at the time corporate law was the only a big thing. thing. That, it was the totally. it was the worst thing to totally. be, yeah. and then all of a sudden it became the most important thing to be. Totally, you know. And so that's why there's so many. Yeah, like I mean, and not to say that like all. I mean, I think now like the stereotype is probably like less true because I think like you know there's been successions of Jewish kids that have grown up with money, and usually by the third generation that grows up with a decent amount of money just squanders it. Yeah, like, yeah. Also, like, no one really. It's from super wealthy to broken three generations. Yeah, like, I, I used to cover, like, I was briefly a business reporter yeah. and for about a year, year and a half, and I would do family businesses, and they're like, first generation founds a business, builds it, second generation expands it, takes it to its peak, third generation loses it. Because they want to play Xbox all day on the couch and shit. But just like, the, you just you don't have that hunger. So yeah, that was the yeah. thing, like, my dad, that was, I think, why I've been able to do okay with writing is because it was, my dad was very much like, you're entitled to nothing. Do you have to work hard. Yeah. Do it yourself. Don't be an asshole. Like, be respectful. Like, you know, like, I mean, I had a bad attitude, of course. And like, my, my you know, but I would just, that was like always what I'd hear. Like, you have, a, your coach says you have a bad attitude. Your teacher, and like, so you just get screamed at. Yeah. And I still probably have a bad attitude, which is, which is kind of why writing made sense because it's like, you can professionally have a bad attitude. Right. <laughs> you know, it's like, well, it's a good, it's a writer. It's just an artful complaint. Yeah. So then basically what happened was I, um, my freshman or sophomore year, I had a friend that was like really, you know, like I remember I went to, uh, uh, he like you know he was like really into like Jack Kerouac and like I never read like you know I, I like was not like the schools were good but they weren't like great you know yeah. so when I never read like Catcher in the Rye I never read like Great Gatsby I never read like you know on the road books that like you know a lot of I mean not to say that they it, you know whatever yeah and so I read them and I got really inspired but I never still thought I'd be a writer I had a girlfriend my sophomore junior year and she like we she lived in the bay so I'd go up and I'd go to City Lights and kind of do the pilgrimage and you know like you have this like romantic like notion of being a writer but still like and then what happened was my uh i kept a journal i took a creative writing class i was i, I wasn't very good I, I thought i you know i thought i was solid but i wasn't like oh this is it and then i uh my junior year like there was there was like a fraternity at occidental i went to occidental yeah in eagle rock and so there was a fraternity and they were called like ato and my freshman year, I <laughs> one of my friends was an ATO, like the biggest douchebags ever. Well, it, I don't know anything about fraternity life or sorority life. Like I was never part yeah. of that. But the where only did you go? 
Uh, I, I went to photo school. I'm yeah, yeah. art nerd. He used to tell me that the other fraternities would diss ATO by saying, you can't spell faggot without ATO. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm sorry that I just said that, but it always stuck in my memory as hilarious. Yeah. The ATO, there was only like three frats in my school. There was like ATO, SAE, and like the uh, Kappas. Yeah, yeah. It's like a black fraternity, so it wasn't uh, I'm surprised you didn't try to join the Kappas. Yeah, I would have. You know what? I actually would think I would have had a better time in the Kappas. <laughs> like, I think we would have had a lot more eye to eye, whereas like yeah. ATO, like, it's all the base. It was ATO was basically baseball, all baseball dude. and football yeah, guys. Yeah. And it's interesting fraternities because I, I always think that like one third of frat boys are actually decent, okay human beings, but they're very passive and very easily swayed. Yeah. So like there will be the dominant asshole douche personalities that care that are like maybe only 20, 25 percent of the fraternity. Yeah. But those are end up being the leaders. Yeah. And then like the rest kind of just go along with. So you have decent guys. And I was sort of like in that 20 percent maybe that was like a decent guy, but like was in it. And then but so I didn't know shit. You know, I was 17. When I was a freshman, like, you know, turned 18 as, you know, a couple months in your initial major was going to be laws that we stuck with history because it, oh, was, there wasn't, it was uh liberal arts school so oh, okay, it wasn't okay. a business major yeah, yeah. and i loved history that was like my favorite subject and it was always really easy and then more than english i thought like maybe i'll be a historian or something you know i didn't know what that meant either like you know maybe i'll be a paleontologist i don't know yeah right right and i was like you know in the dinosaurs like every kid you know oh same dude and uh you know like lost civilizations i was like maybe i'll find atlantis you know and uh so i went in and uh like these guys were like such assholes and like they went through the hazing and like you know all these like frat things and i was like what the and like here i am i'm like the fuck is going on like i hate i can't deal and uh so i i ended up depledging a week before hell week i came back from winter break and i was just like i'd gone through a semester and all this drinking and shit and like playing they had a game called caps they would drink i remember the first time i knew i wasn't for it was like it was like my first weekend at the like the frat and i come hang out (laughs) and like they have like all these cds in a wall you know they had like the cd but kind of like uh and it was all the eagles it was like fucking (laughs) social distortion oh yeah yeah I was like, yo, where's the rap? They're like, this guy likes rap. What the fuck? They're like, put on some social tea, boys. And I was like, oh my god. Like, I, I was like, they don't. I like, they don't even have like the chili peppers. <laughs> you know, they, they didn't even have like blood sugar sex magic, which yeah, you'd yeah. think would be like the middle ground, the quintessential white boy. <laughs> yeah, you're like, yeah. eh. they're like, we got, we got this. <laughs> it's yeah, like, yeah. it's like, suck my kiss, <laughs> you know. <laughs> and uh, so I, uh, I didn't even do that. Well, so what about like deep pledging? What was that like? Oh yeah, that was like big, big, not, big was, backlash. Yeah. Because, yeah, they all hated me at that point. And then because I was, you know. And a lot of them were still on the baseball team? They were team. all on the baseball team. Oh, man. So the hazing on the baseball team must have increased. Yeah, it wasn't. Then. I mean, I was I was starting as a freshman, too. So it was like they, there was only so much you can talk shit when, like, this guy's good. When you're, yeah, when you're killing But, it. like, I wasn't, like, you know what I mean? There were a lot of guys that gave me shit. They were, you know, they're all, like, uh, car salesmen and shit now. And, like, yeah. insurance brokers and, like, yeah. third-tier lawyers and, you know, ambulance chasers. But so then I, I did this whole thing and it was it was just a weird thing like because I really saw like the mind control aspect of a fraternity and how like good people by the end of their time in the fraternity would kind of be they're corrupted. Yeah. yeah, they're corrupted and they they uh, not all of them. I mean, there's some people there's I'm sure there's plenty of great frat guys out yeah. there, but like a lot of them like turn out, you know, that you start being misogynistic and like you start just, you know, they'd have like this one thing that really off- always I offended me and not because I'm like some kind of like I, like I, I, I've never been one of those guys who's like, I'm a feminist male. Yeah, like yeah. just I am what I am. I believe what i believe and i don't like to label it but yeah they had like a gavel and you'd like every week you'd be like you were supposed to talk about like what girl you fucked oh my god so they'd be like they'd be like and you could pass the gavel but they'd be like if someone with one of your friends had heard that you'd hooked up they would then out you i mean and like i would always like you know lie and say oh nothing 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 because like you know but 
Yeah, they would talk. I mean, really nasty ass stories, and then you know, yeah. like, like double teaming girls. It seems it like such gross. weird overcompensation. Like, it was weird. Yeah, it was yeah. like a really homoerotic place too. They'd be like, you know, I'd be like there. I'd be, you know, I was like eighteen. I'm like, where are the girls? You yeah, know, yeah. and like it'd be like, no girls. Us in the basement. Take off your shirt. They're and like, like, no, it's time to be spanked. <laughs> yeah, they'd be. Yeah, I'm like, why are there petals on the walls? <laughs> like there were like petals. I'm like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? I'm like, this is not what I signed up for. So I'm like, I'm out. Peace, guys. Yeah. You're wonderful human beings, but I'm out. They didn't like that. Right. Junior year comes around. Same thing. Like all these guys on my baseball team are now pledging the fraternity. I'm trying to be like, don't do it. This. I promised you, this is not what you expect. Uh, and then there's like this big hazing trip. And uh, they all go to Vegas during Hell Week, right? And I didn't do that, but I, I went everything but that. And then on the way home, uh, a guy, one of my teammates, and you know they're on no sleep, no sleep at all. A guy fell asleep, crashed oh, the car. Fuck. One of my uh, best friends is like has got brain damage, like it healed, but like not a hun- like ninety eight percent, you know. Right, and it's right. like he's like never been the same. And like there's another friend that like died. Like one guy died. Our starting shortstop is eighteen years old. He died. It was, I mean, it was and like another guy, like sh- the driver shattered his leg. Another guy was paralyzed for six months. I mean, it was, it was a, re- it was like the most traumatic experience that had happened to any of us. And, you know, we're on the team and it's like, you know, it's that whole band of brothers thing, you know, like you're really, you know, yeah, you, you're really attached to your teammates. Yeah. Like you're really attached to your teammates and we were going to be a good team. And like, it was like, it seemed like we'd had two really shitty teams and it seemed like this was like our, this was going to be our year. Yeah. You know? And this kid dies and like the week before some guy had gone to Afghanistan. He was going to go to Afghanistan. He was joining the Marines and then 9-11 had happened in the fall and now he was going to like Af- – and we're like – it was a really crazy, crazy time and it just kind of – I just started writing after that. And then we had a team walkout. So you, you started keeping the journal? I already kind of had one but I really started like you know writing like like – essays and poems and like, yeah, you know like yeah. really bad poems yeah. and of course you think that they're amazing because you're like feeling this like this like onslaught of emotion this like you know yeah. swelling and you're like oh, when you're like, 18 and you write a poem you fucking feel well, it's like it. 20 but yeah like still, you're still at that time it's like you feel like oh man i should show this to people this oh, yeah like amazing. my girlfriend at the time and she's like you're so good yeah, i was yeah. like you know i had a i had a nice girlfriend at the time who like I think mean, I think we were young, so she probably liked it. <laughs> but like now, we're looking back, you'd be like, Jesus, that was awful. Right, exactly. But yeah, no, I started, and then I started. Um, I was really upset, and I started writing a novel. Like when the year was over that summer, and I just it started. It was originally going to be a short story because I knew I had creative writing in the fall, uh-huh. and I was going to take it a second time. And I was, so I was interested, but I, I never thought I'd do it for a living. And then I just started writing this, this short story, which was like then it became a forty-page short story, and then it became a hundred fifteen-page novella, and then it ended up becoming a novel. So then. I was basically working on this novel whenever I had free time no shit. for years. Yeah. And then I finished it ultimately. Like I graduated and then I was like, what the fuck am I going to do after I write this novel? Did you, you stay writer. majoring in history the whole time? Yeah. I, I took a minor in English. Oh, I took okay. a bunch of classes my senior year. Yeah. And then I really, um, by that point I was like, okay, you're going to be a writer. You're going to do this. I don't know how. And then I was convinced I'm going to be a novelist. And then you graduate and you're like, no one's paying. Did no- anyone <laughs> pick up on the novel or what? You know, I like, it took me like a million drafts and like three years after I graduated so I was like I think 24 I was about to turn 25 and I yeah. finished it and then I got this like agent like this like TV or is a TV manager and then I got a TV agent and they're like we want you to write t-. I just started Passion of the Weiss like I was working with a business reporter started Passion of the Weiss they liked Passion of the Weiss they like they hadn't seen the book but I was like I'm, I'm about to finish this book they're like cool you the you have a young voice let's have you write a TV pilot so I write a TV pilot and they're like don't worry when you sell this pilot you're gonna sell your book too and you're gonna be like this great you know what I mean like so of course like I write the book I write the pilot it takes me like six months to spend all this time working on this pilot 
was it a drama or comedy? It was like a was comedy. It? it was like it was like stupid. It was called like it was gonna be called The Young and the Rested. Okay. And it was like a satire of young, like rich LA kids like living at the Palazzo. you know, the Palazzo. I do, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's like it was just so absurd. Like and I, I was dating a girl at the time who like her mom used to like work there and yeah. it just was like such a jaded like you know ridiculous i wrote this whole thing and it was like it was just a like a pure zoolander i was a really like zoolander it was like, yeah. my favorite movie right right um still is one of my favorite movies and so i started writing I, this. I would not have guessed that really no i thought you'd be like oh, i'm into apocalypse now or no something. i like 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 dumb shit yeah, yeah i mean like i like dumb i like you know like yeah i could feel like food's boring to be like oh i like fellini yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. oh have you have you seen the dolce vita right, right. Half. It's, you know i can't you know it's yeah, I've seen that shit. I like it, but it's like you know, you're into the absurd. Yeah, I like I like I like Woody. I uh, saw I didn't get exposed to Woody. And I finally got exposed to Woody Allen. I was like, oh my god, yeah, yeah. <laughs> all these things that I've wanted to, you know, right. And uh, so, I, so what happens with the pilot? It's just like they were like, it needs eight more drafts, and I was like, uh, okay. And then I just like didn't care. And then like the book, I was like six months out of the book, and I was like. I'm not. I, I just, you know, you have to be able to sell it. Like, have you ever like finished a piece of music and you're just like, oh, I can't sell. Like, you're just like, I'm, I don't have it in me it's to every be like song I've ever made. right. Like, I don't have it in me <laughs> to like do this. Well, but there's I, a big difference, and there's also a balancing act between a creative side and a business side. And some people have both, and those are the people that end up playing stadium shows. And totally. then there's some people that only have one, and those are the people that end up being, you know, totally that, that just do the creative shit, and that's it. Yeah. Well, it, it's like you don't. I mean, and there's also like not like, in, and there are indie, but, but like I didn't have it. I didn't know anyone to give it to. It was, and then I like realized it's a young adult novel because I started writing when I was 20. Yeah. So it's like about 18 year olds. So it's yeah, like it's yeah. a young adult novel. Like no matter how you slice it's it, it's Twilight. Yeah, I mean, yeah, basically. I should add more vampires. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> He's just, a baseball player who's a vampire. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Frankenstein is the next big monster to blow up, so you just throw a Frankenstein in it and yeah. resell it. You yeah, know? like some kind of like it. So blow. what 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 inspired you to start Passion of the Weiss? Uh, I thought blog I, I read all these like blogs on the internet and I thought they were kind of cool. Like I like I, there were a couple ones I thought what were cool. What year was this? Like, oh, end of 05. Oh, end of 05. I was reading all these music blogs. Like I, I liked Gorilla vs. Bear. I liked Aquarium Drunkard. Like I was I kind of had like a little bit of an indie. I feel like 05 is still pretty early to jump on the totally. blog train too. Yeah. Like it's not early adopter but it's like the second stage of early adopter feel me? totally yeah. yeah i mean it like it, it's a it's a good thing and a bad thing because like, yeah. you get in first but at the same time like the business model like i kept my same model you know yeah. which was like like writing things yeah I've always which is of, not good for that was one of the only things that i had planned to ask you was kind of like what made you choose to do think pieces on passion of the weiss rather than like go with the constant updates and the and the like well that's how blogs were at the time you yeah. know it used to be like you'd write one thing a day and it was like a and also like at the time there, i found like a, you know you remember like oh five it was like like every southern shit was like i you know what i like southern rap i always like southern rap you know like i outcast was my favorite Go- goody mob i was cool breeze witch yeah. doctor i love that shit yeah love dungeon family but like southern rap is is cool too but like it was the over intellectualization over intellectualization of like kind of shit that was pretty you know just party music like and that's cool but it was just the way that it was written about in like such an erudite way like such a faux erudite way i should say and it kind of just was like and then like you're like it was like not like i was a little brother fan but they're like oh little brother's the most boring bullshit thing ever and i'm like you know what like like neither of these things maybe are like the greatest thing ever right like you know and it was just a, not a good time for hip-hop in general i'd say 2005 like yeah 2006. it was a rough time 
just not that much. Like you look back, you're like, yeah, I guess I like. It was docu- kind of the end. Of- documentary was good. You know, Doctor's Advocate was, but like, was it really? Uh, that that era was kind of the end of the glory years of the backpacker rap. Totally, yeah, because the backpack shit. Like, I, you know, I grew up on like hardcore, like gangster rap and shit. Yeah. And then it was like, like the people that had kind of blown up during the alt stage. Totally, you, you know, was- were like kind of pushing their underlings because yeah. they had some like how bad quality was terrible by that point. Most stuff was like God, God knows, and Doom was cool, but like Doom is like Doom. So who were you writing about? then i don't know a lot of dumb shit probably it was a fire like a fish scale i was really into oh fish, yeah. fish scale was dope yeah that, that i'm that's not one proud thing, of anything I that's wrote. one thing that was going on in in the uh 0506 the was like crack rap. W- was ghost face was in a renaissance phase and also dipset was like killing it yeah i never really got exposed i i never like i liked dipset but i i still like i like them i don't like i never had like the love of dipset that's so funny i had fantano on and he said that he was saying kind of the same thing where it's like he he was aware of the records but never got into them which is crazy because because, or to me, because in the forums at the time, totally. I wasn't. A, I, never I wasn't was in, a yeah. blog reader, but I was yeah. a forum dude. They were huge on the yeah, forums. Yeah, see, you were on the the what the Philly Flavor. Like on Philly Flavor. See, I never was on Philly Flavor. Uh, a little bit Soul like underground hip hop Yeah, I didn't like, know yeah. about those. I never was really an internet person. Like, yeah. I've never been. In, I that's which is so it's so weird because I like I'm kind of at heart probably I'm not kind of an anti internet person. I think who makes a living on the internet. Yeah, but I don't. I do it, you know, but do I like that? Do I like Twitter? Like, no. Yeah. I mean, it's fun, but like, it's kind of, it's poisonous in its own way. Right. You know, it's because it's like ultimately like the Louis C.K. thing. You know, it's, you remember when you said, did you see the Louis C.K. thing where he's like talking about how I was going to text somebody and like, you know, you're having this moment alone and then, you know, you get lonely and you kind of, he's right in my opinion, even though like, yes, you could be like, okay, shut up like baby boomer with your like anti, but like there is something to be said, like where your brain, you're listening to something and then like, oh, like you have this moment, but then, oh, no, I'm going to interrupt it in a text or I'm going to tweet it. And then, but your brain doesn't have the same flow. I, I feel my brain like fracturing into a million ways. And like the internet, it's like, I sit down to write. And, oh, you have 80 emails that you have to respond yeah. from a million editors and you're getting someone's tweeting at you. And then you have a Facebook like and you're like, who likes it? Who likes yeah. it? And then you look back and you're like, man, like, what did I just do? You know? And I think that's kind of. I think yeah, the it, insurgence of the internet accessibility being so easy with a phone next to you has really affected. I know it's affected my creativity a shitload because I can't even separate myself. Like, yeah. I used to take myself out of my house to write and listen to music and write totally. and stuff. And yeah. It's now even in my car, I can find myself going like, okay, well, I'm stuck on this bar. Let me check Instagram yeah. real quick. I wrote my book like left hand, like, uh, like le- on a uh, long hand yeah. with a fucking flip phone, you know? And like, <laughs> there was no way to get to me. And you know what? Like, I'm hoping that one, I mean, the goal I think is one day, like, I think that's how you know when you're, it used to, but there was a fam- famous like Bob Dylan quote where he was like, you know, you're a success when you wake up in the morning go to sleep at night and you do everything you want to do now i'm like you kind of know you're a success when you can not have any contact with the outside world and it doesn't matter because like people are like mad lib like yeah. i think mad lib is amazing because people are always trying to get to him so it doesn't matter yeah. because mad lib just knows that people can try to get to him so he doesn't have to he can respond whatever the fuck mad lib wants because if mad lib responds to you then like and that's like i'm not to sit not to compare myself to mad lib because that's absurd but like that's i just think the cool <laughs> i think that's yeah, real yeah. cool you know and like i'd love to like be like a writer at that level where you're just like yeah like I check my email every five days. Right, right. You know, and I like check my Twitter every five days. Yeah, I've always, in a similar note, I've always heard that like, you know, you're starting to be successful when you can say no to things. Totally. Like, well, like when it doesn't matter to say no, because when you first start, you have to say yes to everything. Totally. And when you can start saying no is when you have some power in your hands. So after the pilot and after you finish your, yeah, I started writing a screenplay. I started writing a screenplay about boy bands. Okay. Called Heat Wave. And that was like, which I still think is like by far the best thing I've ever done. Any story, anything. Is it kind of an absurdist comedy? It's like Zoolander with boy bands. And set in 1999, it's like a period 
arcade piece. Oh, and that it's would like, be perfect to, as retro right now. Totally. Set in 1999, like they have it's Heat Wave, and like it's basically the lead singer's name is Ocean, and he thinks he's like John Lennon. Yeah. He takes like they take psychedelic drugs. He thinks he's like John Lennon, but he's really more like Justin Timberlake. Yeah. And mixed with Jim Morrison, you I know, was, like yeah, yeah. I was just looking at a picture yesterday of Justin Timberlake and Britney Spears when they went to like the Grammys or something in yeah. full denim frosted, outfits, frosted tips. No, like yeah. she had on a denim dress and he had on a denim tuxedo <laughs> and a denim cowboy hat. It was like the most '90s picture I've ever fucking seen. You, yeah, it's I mean, I, I like literally like it's funny because people come to my house and they're like, "Why have a Backstreet Boys DVD?" I'm like, "I swear, I was research." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're like, "Yeah, right." So but, when did you start picking up journalist gigs then? Um, well, I quit my business journal job in 2005 mm-hmm. and it was like under the thing where i was like look like i had money saved up and i was like okay you have enough money to maybe last you a year if you live like really cheap like maybe eight months mm-hmm. i knew i could pick up side gigs you know tutoring gig, whatever the fuck you know any kind of like spare job you know jobs will pop up and you'll just do them mm-hmm. i was like i bet i can because people started like you know a couple hundred hits a day so i thought that was pretty cool and like i was like i bet i can get enough writing gigs you know i've never been like, the kind of person that like buys himself stuff i'm not really into like right right i don't like need like the illest new clothes you know right, what i mean like right. i'm not who cares like yeah. it's not i mean you want to look nice but like i'm not gonna sp- i'm not gonna buy you're talking it. to a guy sitting here in sweatpants you don't totally. tell me yeah you know i just like finally i'm like oh maybe you should not wear white socks <laughs> like i'm <laughs> yeah. like you know it was like my new all right and yeah. then like so i was like i bet i can get enough jobs at, so i won't have to go back to a day job and like that i didn't you know that was it and i started writing for the la times and the weekly and you know and then one thing led to another and like i you know i get a lot of emails about like i've been lucky i don't really have to pitch very much which yeah. is cool you know because i'm not really very good at that and you know it's i just don't like selling something to people i don't really like, have that salesman mentality right how long was it before people like rolling stone started reaching out a couple years yeah a couple, a couple years i mean it like really 2010 maybe yeah because you, you kind of have to be a local writer first prove yourself and you know i worked really hard like i like you know it'd be like a story you know we're getting like 600 bucks or something but i would like interview somebody four times and like you know go follow them for weeks you know yeah. and like like i mean i did this jerkin story like that was like the first one where i was like i was really inspired and i really so this is when i started to really like like you know i kind of graduated to like really take it really you know once i st- when i made the decision like as a senior in college to be like a writer i started taking it really seriously i was like all right if you're gonna do it because the last thing anyone needs is a mediocre writer so you did a, a story on jerking and just took it like super seriously i mean a bunch of things but like yeah like i like i was really reading a lot of tom wolf at the time and i'd, I'd been a big hunter thompson fan and all the new joan didion and like truman capone and like it's really into that you know gates elise and so i started reading i started just i was like all right well this is a story this is a phenomenon you should just post up and interview everybody and plot and go down for a month and just embed yourself and i don't really do that as much anymore because there's not you know that's it was kind of a special story yeah, I felt. yeah. it was a moment you it know was. i kind of felt like i kind of susp- I mean, the story didn't come out the story came out more like in the edits like the editor at the time was kind of like you know new cool thing and like i was more like mm, this is probably going to be a flash in the pan type yeah. yeah and i you know i didn't know how long it could be like a year flash in the pan it could yeah. be like a three-month flash it was more like there was a lot of flash in the pans around that time totally like soldier boy was a real flash in the pan yeah. even though he's had a career but yeah you know well it was like it went it was like hyphy then jerking then and the, even the, the wet chicken noodle soup in new york was kind of a big thing for a while and then like yeah hyphy it was just it seemed like that was they were looking for the next thing and then uh yeah, so I, then it was stuff like that, and I feel like that. I don't know. I feel like a lot of people just want to sit in their house and be critics. I, I'm not. I don't like criticism, honestly. Like I, I'll do it. It's fine. Like it's it's something to do. Um, 
you know, if someone offered, you know, if someone's like, you, you enjoy telling the story more yeah. than giving the opinion. Yeah. I mean, I feel like I like profiles. I like, I like long, I like, yeah. Like I want like what I want to do right now is I really, like, if you, I mean, I love doing the Lakers stuff, but I was just in New York pitching a story that nobody really wanted to pay me to go for. But you know, in Greece, there was a uh, murder of an, of a, of anti-fascist rapper. And a lot of people don't know, but there was this party called the golden dawn, all the austerity thing. Greece is like really fucked up right now. If you don't know, like, you know, they had all this austerity plan to cut back, like very high unemployment, yeah. tons of strikes and protests. And so the, this uh, neo-Nazi party. Because they like pulled out from the euro or some shit like that? Or I don't know. If, I don't think they pulled out from the euro, but I think the euro really, really fucked, fucked them, them up. Because, yeah. yeah, they were a country that was not like Germany is very well equipped to be on the euro. Right. But Greece is not, you know, like Italy was not, you know, right. like certain countries, the dollar, you know, it's and anyways, but. Not, so you wanted to go out there and do a profile on this rapper that got murdered? The, the murdered by the neo-Nazi party, the Golden Dawn. And they had 19 members in the parliament and that all the members of the parliament got arrested and there was a conspiracy and I Whoa. wanted to go out there and, you know, cause I wrote the book on Tupac and like a biggie thing with, with Evan McGarvey and I wrote a, that boozy story in 2012. Right. And so, you know, I feel like, and so I really wanted someone to go out there and I really wanted to do like, you know, it'd be probably dangerous. You know, it's not like then the guy got, you know, no one's like, oh, you know, a Jewish guy covering Greek neo-Nazis. It's like, not like, you know, but I feel I'm not really a war reporter so I've, this was probably the most and i wanted to do that that's the, the, the kind of stuff that i'd like to do i think more and but nobody nobody wanted to pick it up people were interested but nobody wanted to you I mean, know do you think maybe you'll fund it yourself and, and just try to make the money back after or no i did that with the boozy thing and i'm kind of not that interested in just like i i kind of find like a big void in journalism is it's not any editor's fault it's not any it's just there's not that much money anymore in yeah. it, and the ads aren't there and the online ads haven't recovered to take over the print. Yeah, ones. that's what I was going to ask about, too, is kind of like with the onset of so many blogs and journalism kind of going the way of the Buffalo, like traditional journalism. It's a rarity to find a site like Passion of the Weiss where when you choose a song to write about, there's actually a think piece about it. Uh, and yeah, an, I, mean, maybe not a, I, I, I don't know about a think piece, but at least but thought. Y- 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 it's at like least thought. A, at least a thought. And like, that's the thing. Like w- What I mean is yeah. you pick and choose your things that you want to talk about and you, and you actually talk about them and analyze them slightly, yeah. whereas most people are just copy pasting the press. Totally. Release. And that's the thing. And like, you know, and like it's frustrating and good in a way, because like, if like I always said, like, there's a lot of stuff like I like that I don't write about. And like, maybe I don't love it, but like, I only write about the stuff that I like really, like really like, I'm like, you know what I mean? Like, and this that's very, very not, it's just not that much. And like it, that's okay because I feel like it counts, but at the same time, it's the worst business model in the world because you'll never get the clicks. And like, right. like we were talking about Macklemore before, like I don't fuck with Macklemore. Like I don't even like, you know, like there's some shit, like I'll be like, all right, that's cool. Like, you know, I'm, I'm okay with that. Like, yeah. you know, and, but I won't, it doesn't move me enough to write about it maybe but like if i wrote about macklemore if i wrote about drake if i wrote about like the new rick ross single if i wrote about the new little wayne single that shit's eminem like we didn't even have an eminem review Mm -hmm. because no one pitched it to me and like i wasn't about to write like i wrote like one thing randomly when i kind of liked i kind of liked the berserk video i didn't love it but i was like kind of interested me and i was a big eminem fan at one point yeah same but see i haven't been able to listen to him since marshall mathers lp yeah honestly i liked the eminem show at the time but i couldn't listen to it today yeah he had a very to be honest i was such genius. a backpacker at the time that even the marshall mathers lp i was like oh he is already really? fall- he's already yeah. falling off this is the beginning of the end yeah i never really got that into the politics of the backpacker thing but like i maybe i, I was really into deaf jokes and yeah and, yeah and rock for a while and- oh, so i get uh, going back before we go off too yeah. far on a tangent i guess my question is like with the democratization of journalism and uh i feel like now 
somewhat the power of popularity is in the people's hands. That was a lot of alliteration. But like, I think the internet picks and chooses what they want to listen to now. Yeah. Whereas in the past, maybe so a lot of the power was in music totally. journalism's way hands. More. How does journalism survive in this era? Well, I mean, I think you've seen like the way it does and it's maybe not pretty, you know, it's like lists and like, yeah. like covering everything in 75 posts a day. And it sucks because like, what do you, that's why I liked the early days of blogging was cool. Cause it's like, whether you like someone or didn't like someone, they were thinking about it and they were only really like, they're trying to dig up obscure shit or there was stuff that they were like really obsessed with at the time or they really hated at the time, but they at least were thinking now it's like, you know, Tumblr is cool. Like, you know, people, kids can write their things on Tumblr and, but you don't see that many like blogs that start up. I see like kids, you know, they'll start a Tumblr and it just goes by the wayside. And most of the blogs that I came up with are the same. I don't know. I felt like there was a void. I felt like there was not stuff being, co- you know, and like it is a rigged game. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't, if you have the right publicist, if you have the right, you know, you can't force everything, but like it's, it's still a rigged game to some extent, you know, the right, the right cosine or it's, but you know, I think cosines are more like artists. Like I was saying, like, I think we're gonna have Isaiah Rashad on shots fired yeah. next week. We wrote about him like, like, like a year ago, mm-hmm. like, like one of like, I, he, he wrote to me. I forwarded it to one of my writers. I was like, this is good. Check it out. Let me know what you think about it. He liked it. He wrote about it, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. No one had written about it. Maybe, maybe smoking. I think smoking section had written about Isaiah Rashad. I think that was about it. Mm-hmm. Somebody like commented like DJ Booth. I'm like, okay, whatever. Cool. Like, I don't think anyone's reading DJ Booth. I mean, it's a valuable resource, but no one's like, did you see the review on DJ? You know, anyway, right, not to right. diss them. I don't really know them. I'm sure they're great guys. But now like you look up Isaiah Rashad, right? He's fucking everywhere. After the BET cipher, I mean, he really stood out. In that. But it's because he has the TDE cosine, and I, I feel I still feel the artist, like the writer cosine. People like make a big deal about it. It's not what it is. It's like you know, it's a very, very, very slow trickle. One, 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 maybe. But once you get an artist cosine like a TDE, like oh, all of a huge. sudden they're everywhere. And it's like that. That's what really is depressing to me about journalism. I mean, it's nothing to look. It's nothing to lament. I mean, it's always been like that. It's always going to be like that. People are you know, but it is frustrating that. It has to be like, and I, I get it. Like, I am friends with a lot of these editors, the people that, you know, friendly at least with people that run big publications. And a lot of them are really smart, hardworking people. Yeah. And they're kind of trapped in a system that, unless you're Pitchfork, which is the one place that seems to be able to get away with that. Uh-huh. And like, I, you know, people shit on Pitchfork all the time. I have a lot of respect for them. And I, I do write for them, so I am biased. But yeah. I have a lot of respect for them in the sense that, like, say what you want about them. They don't do stupid lists all the time. Yeah. They don't have like they they if they do a list it's for the sake of doing a list not for the sake of just okay we need to, we need to do a list right now. Yeah. They review records still. They 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 give thought to it. Those are yeah. really thoughtful reviews. I mean you you might think the writing is terrible on a given I, review. I, I mean I'm down with the writing. Yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I mean like you know everyone's open to their own opinion. I mean some rev- like look I mean like every publication if you go to Passion the Weiss, some reviews are good. Yeah. Some reviews are not as good. Right. It's just how it is. But uh they at least are, you know, they, they've been able to get away with it. They can do like long form reviews and people still care. And I wish, I wish that there were five places like Pitchfork because I think that we'd be a lot better for it. Unfortunately, I don't know if there is the level of interest. I mean, music is, a, music has become a niche thing. I was talking about it earlier with a friend where it's like, now I'm writing about sports, right? And if you think about sports, the media is at every step of the way. You're watching a game. You can't watch it without the media. There's the halftime show. There's the announcers at the game. There's the sideline reporters. There's the newspaper the next day. There's the, the online stories that are prolific, proliferating immediately. Mm-hmm. There's the Twitter personalities that everyone's following on sports. But you think about music, it's a covenant between the artist and the listener usually. It's like, I'm alone. I'm listening to this shit. Like, there's no media involved. And it means something to me that it might not mean to somebody else. Completely. And that's yeah. what's beautiful about music, but it's also like what makes it maybe not that viable as a career option. Right. And I mean, I've been lucky to do I mean, it's like I, you know, I, I like writing about music. I mean, it's like someone called me a what? It's funny. Some kid wrote to me the other day and he meant well. He was like in college and I was a total asshole about yeah. it. And like, I was like a really 
I think it's good to be assholes to people behind the scenes to like yeah it would it's it'll be valuable for him in the future that's how i look at it dude people when people approach me wrong every once in a while this is a side note but every once in a while someone will approach me wrong on facebook asking for advice or telling me to listen to something and they'll say some stupid shit yeah and i'll be like look man i'm gonna sound like an asshole right now but five years from now you're gonna understand why i did this and thank me for it but like you shouldn't do this and you shouldn't talk to people this way and you and like da 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 what was really smart of yours was your and they'll your music too early thing yeah that was a really smart appreciate it and they and, and like but very like, very sometimes very people fucking come back at me and be like you're a fucking dick i thought you were humble and i'm like yo bro i'm taking time out of my fucking day really? to write back to you uh and give you advice and even though yeah. it's not the advice that you want to hear it's better advice than like how can i get better totally at rapping? like yeah like you know you might not be like macklemore i might not be fucking chuck Osterman, but at the same time yeah. like you're busy i'm busy yeah, <laughs> you know exactly. what i mean like it's like exactly. you have shit to do and yeah. like so this kid wrote to me and he was like asking he's like as a white hip-hop critic and i'm like those are the most offensive oh, things you could have said yeah. i was like first of all what is like oh yeah i'm white but like come on like don't come and like then i was like i'm not really a hip-hop critic and i'm like i'm not even a critic i do criticism sometimes i love hip-hop and i am a white person i'm a journalist i'm just like a, I'm a writer. writer you know it's yeah. just like i mean i'm an entity yeah <laughs> i'm a brand yo that's what i can't stand is these kids on twitter being like oh personal brand and like yeah. i'm like i know you're tongue-in-cheek ironic but you're not really ironic right. you really are caring about your brand and like fuck your brand fuck that shit be yourself if you are yourself you will be your brand yeah that's like one thing i will say about kanye he's crazy but there's no fucking filter right he's not really crazy you know he's crazy like a fox kanye yeah absolutely you know but like i every i can't believe we've gotten this long without talking about kanye thanks <laughs> it's like where can the people find you online they can find i mean i'm on twitter like you're on twitter at passion, passion, of, passion wise passion wise.com we have the shots fired podcast with me and no can do yeah uh which we just relaunched which is cool i have a book called why'd you guys take a hiatus what happened um like we basically are switching from earwolf to the uh loudspeakers network with combat jack oh yeah tight and so yeah it's just you know and now we're kind of like we got to figure it out ourselves and we were like fuck it let's take a break and kind of like regroup and figure out how we're gonna you were recording here in the cosmic zoo so you know it's it's a different energy you kind of have to like yeah i know i'm scared i'm gonna have to like when i when i schedule i'm gonna have to like hit you guys up first to make sure you guys aren't in here at the same time next thursday (laughs) okay but um (laughs) yeah uh how has the experience of podcasting been for you it's it's weird it's like everything else it's like you know it's i feel like i've been doing these things that i maybe not like like i I not i was not an internet person you know what i mean like i was never like on like i said like i was never on message boards i like read pitchfork a little bit like but i I wasn't like in my own head i'm an offline person in reality i'm a very online were you ever a talk radio dude no 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 i was always like music and like i you know i never got into i never like honestly i'd never listen to a podcast when we did the thing on earwolf i but when like when we were like they're like yeah we'll pick you up i had not listened to one earwolf podcast ever. yeah well, that's the funny thing about the- i still have only listened to one earwolf i listened to like one episode of comedy bang bang once yo is this racist i was on and i love i love andrew t but like i don't listen to podcasts right when i first started doing the podcast i barely even really knew what one was yeah and was terrible and then and then as time went on i started listening to more and i and, I, and now i'm actually kind of like a podcast nerd but i only have like five that i listen to what do you listen to um all right i'll shout out all, all these guys. <laughs> well i listen to oh yeah dude i find those two guys hilarious uh john larroquette is in it who's also in uh, jogger yeah low-end theory shit yeah um i listen to combat jack yeah. i fuck with that yeah combat jack is they they do it amazing they're great job. i really think like dallas penn is f- hilarious yeah, I've, uh, yeah dallas was one of the early blogs i read yeah I, reggie too like when he would do stuff on byroncrawford.com i've been reading reggie forever so yeah we're gonna be on lots network is 
Combat Jack. Yeah, Combat so. Jack, if you're listening, holler at your boy because uh, I need money too. Oh, actually, I also like the Italian dude. Uh, what's the Italian dude on Combat Jack? Premium Pete. Yeah, Premium Yeah, he's Pete. funny. He I like him because he's just like, he's like reminds me of like my New York side of the family. Yeah. He's just like so raw. Yeah, dude. Premium Pete is hilarious. So anyway, Combat Jack show is tight. Uh, I listened to The Crab Feast, which is kind of like these two comedians. I have an, a comedian on every week just telling stories and it's really funny. And then I listened to... Uh, Marin, whenever there's a, whenever there's a good guest, comedians are so good. At, like we had Eric Andre on Shots Fired, and he was like a magician. <laughs> I was yeah. like, oh my god, you're so not funny. Right. <laughs> you know? like, I was yeah. like, I was like, eh, you're not that funny. That's funny. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Know? So, but yeah, I totally just ripped off my whole format from Marin, and I am unabashed about that, and have no qualms about it. So it's fine. Yeah, uh, I still haven't listened. I, I, I meant to listen to Mike's open Mike Eagles episode yeah. on that but I had Mike on the show and I said publicly that I thought it was kind of an uncomfortable one when you listen to enough Marin podcasts uh-huh. you can see the guys who he's really comfortable with and the ones that kind of make him leave his element in his realm yeah. and Mike being an independent hip hop uh, dude totally. uh, was very I don't think he could really wrap his brain around it so the interview yeah. was awkward so your then, Twitter passionoftheweiss.com yeah and then uh, I'm covering the Lakers so like I mean that's at LA Weekly but you can find all that on Twitter and like Facebook if you want to add me is like just i don't care i'm not, not yeah like, yeah and then uh well yeah passion is getting redesigned too so we're relaunching that hopefully at the beginning of the year so tight man should look good and was the to shout out the biggie book that you guys oh wrote. yeah i have a book uh out called biggie and tupac uh rap's greatest battle and it's me and evan mcgarvey wrote it and why did you guys choose to do that you know honestly the editor hit us up and they're like are you interested and i was like yeah because everyone says stupid things about biggie and tupac are you more of a tupac guy than a biggie guy i feel tupac now a lot more than i did when i first was oh i was really into tupac at first i was really into both of them yeah and then i was really obsessed with biggie and like i was really more of a biggie person i think if you're a writer you're by default more of a biggie person you kind of have to be but i admire like tupac's savagery and like his like rawness and his unfiltered aspect of it and just like that energy that he brought and the emotion and the ability that he could cut through to i mean because that's really the goal i think is to be able to like communicate to the most people without watering down your message and without watering down your and he was amazing at that he's so gifted at it absolutely and i think that's what you try to do in your everyday life and you just set me up with the perfect fucking ending because you're communicating in an unfiltered way to the masses <laughs> via passion of the weiss and uh via shots fired podcast and you know my shirtless leather kind of phase like like dressing up like tupac yeah so. i wish you would put your shirt on right now i wish yeah. you would put it I'm, back I'm on i've been I'm shirtless the entire, i've been yeah the whole interview it's weird yeah. so here. jeff thanks for coming in thanks man. for having me on yeah i appreciate it my name is lee some of you guys might know me as intuition you can follow me on twitter at it's intuition you can follow my man ben shin behind the boards making the shit sound buttery at i am database follow us on facebook facebook.com slash kind of neat youtube.com slash that's kind of neat and everything wrapped in a pretty package at kind of neat.net that is very long and it and gets awkward when you have to sit there and watch it pretty seamless though yeah thanks i, I practice i do it's not rapping yeah <laughs> i mean this is i think you're our 44th episode already so it's going Damn. it's going that fast was my favorite number when i was a kid because eric eric davis he's really 44 i was, was 20 i was 21 because of roberto clemente really I was yeah. an obsessive eric davis fan anyways yeah. uh right. that's us bullshitting and uh that was kind of neat Thanks, man.